Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 85 for January of 2019. All three of us are here again this month. Hello, Eric. Hello, Garrett. How you doing? Not bad. Doing well. Survived the holidays. So that's always uh, an accomplishment. Right. <laughs> well, last time we had a discussion about uh, the nature of our podcast and whether we were getting better or worse or things like that. And I appreciate that we've had not many people, but three or four people reached out to us to say that they actually thought that our monthly format was working really well and they thought our content was actually better than it had been in opposition to what Joseph had said. And uh, another thing I wanted to clear up was that uh, one guy said, really, no one listens to your podcast? When we say no one listens to our podcast, it's in comparison with really big podcasts. According to our podcast host provider, we have an estimated audience of about a thousand people a month. So, yes, people do listen when we're, we're being a bit self-effacing when we say that nobody listens. So, yeah. Okay. With that, let's move on to what our usual first topic is, which is project bikes. Um, all three of us did something in the past month in our garage. So. <laughs> I want to hear from Eric first. Um, yeah, so that week between uh, Christmas and New Year's, we had a couple decent days. And uh, I got out one day and started wiring up the that electronic ignition. And um, it wasn't too bad for part of it. And then the last little bit, um, I had to get a buddy of mine to come over and just help me like walk through some wiring. It was not that it was hard. It was just like, all right, am I seeing this right? You know, just kind of sanity check me on some stuff. So <clears throat> that actually went, uh, pretty well. And those, uh, melt together connectors or, you yeah. know, where you, where the, the, the butt connectors where you melt the solder and then everything seals up, mm -hmm. they work really well. Yeah. Um, it takes about, 15, 20 seconds. I was trying to be careful. So maybe, maybe it might take you less, but I had like a heat gun turned to a thousand degrees and 10, 15 seconds and it melt the solder and all together and it worked. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so we got it all together. Uh, well, most of it. And then this past weekend, as we record this, uh, I had my buddy come over again just to, to double check me on some of the wiring. And then we got it all back together. And, uh, or I get, you know, and then, or, and then, but then found out I needed a new battery because the battery that I had, which was relatively new, was shot because, well, it sat around for a year and a half for two years and whatever. So 40 bucks for new battery, charge it overnight, got put it in, went out, and it would run kind of like just above disengaging the, um, the starter motor. Um, and then it would die and it did that a few times. And one time I went to start it and had this huge backfire. I'm like, ah, shit, here we go again. Um, got it to run an idle. Okay. But it was definitely only on one cylinder. So my buddy came over again just because he was driving by actually to see if it would start because he knew I put the battery in it. Um, and he came up with the idea of like, well, let's pull out the, the plug on the right cylinder because that's the one that wasn't running and just put a few drops of gas in it and, and try that. So he did that, put the plug back in, fired it up, and it, boom, I mean, that thing fired, like, immediately, and then was, and it idled much higher and much stronger, and then it died off. So mm -hmm. we determined that the uh, carbs need to go through again for about the seventh time. So uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yesterday, I put, a, put the carbs in a box to Garrett, so they'll be there tomorrow, and, uh, you know, when, when once he's done working on all of his stuff, he can take a look at my carbs, and because there's certainly no hurry, <laughs> it's January yeah. in Detroit. So, um, but yeah, so the bike ran; it went back together. The electronic ignition seems to work good, um, and we just like guest timed it. We haven't even like put a light on it just to make sure it's even timed right. It's like yeah, it's probably about right, and called it good. So let alone put carbs on it and be able to tune it a little bit, it should be pretty choice. So at which point, I will just need to go buy a new pair of tires. And should be good to ride. When's the last time that it ran? It's been a long time, right? Yeah. So this would be 19, probably 2016 is the last time I rode it. Yeah. And this is an XS400, the, the old single cam? Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a 1978 uh, Yamaha XS400E, I think, but I'm not sure. But It's the non-cruiser 
standard Correct. one? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, UJM style. Um, we looked at the build date on the steering stem, and it was like, yeah, 12 of 77 is when it was built, and it has like 1,015 original miles on it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so. Well, it'll so, yeah. be nice to have that running and back on the road and at least be able to use it when you want to use it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I already looked, and new set of tires is going to cost me about two hundred bucks. Which yeah. actually, that's not too bad. So, yeah, um, the know, chain is original, but eh, it still looks in decent shape. I just throw all the crap out of it and call it good. So, yeah, you know. And at the time, the XS four hundred was kind of known as a dog. You know, it was not as fast as some of the other mid-sized twins. Nowadays, looking when you compare, you know, the difference between that and a I don't know what, a, a, a GS450 or a Hawk or something. They're all dogs, you know, yeah. <laughs> compared yeah, with, yeah. compared with anything you're going to buy today. So I always think of, you know, oh, XS400. Yeah, it's not a real desirable back bike, but thinking back, they're incredibly bulletproof. They didn't mm-hmm. handle bad. They were just known as being kind of slow and really. That's a comparative thing that really any old mid-sized bike from 78 is going to feel slow today. So, yeah, I, I would I was kind of curious. Or I was joking with my buddy. I'm like, yeah, you know, we'll get it back together and it's worth like 700 bucks, you know, whatever. Not that I can sell it because I got it from my father-in-law, so I can't, probably can't sell it. But um, but he's like, no, 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 that you'd be surprised. It's probably worth about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars. So just for giggles, I looked up on Craigslist, and there were there were like four XS four hundreds that were nowhere near as good a shape as mine, and they were all asking like eleven and thirteen hundred dollars. I'm like, no, oh, I might actually yeah. have a fifteen hundred dollar <throat> bike. Which then, man, if I could get fifteen hundred bucks, that means I only got to come up fifteen hundred dollars to buy this uh, Aprilia Falco that's in in uh, in uh, Richmond, Virginia, for sale right now. Like, ah. <laughs> I will uh, none say of that's that gonna happen. none of that's going to happen. But, yeah. um, so my the first like actual street bike that I ever owned was a 1980 Honda CM 400. So basically the Honda version of what you have. And I had so much fun on that motorcycle. And if I could find like a really, really nice example of one of those, I would pay good money for it. And there's probably somebody out there who had an XS 400 as their first bike and mm-hmm. would love to find a really clean example of one too. So um, it's probably worth good money, especially to the right person. So. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I've always thought the XS 400 that you have with the square tank on it and it kind of the, the seats almost flush with the top of the tank mm-hmm. was a really attractive motorcycle. I liked the bodywork on them for that, for that age. It kind of, it kind of fits that whole mid seventies vibe much more than the cruiser specials that they morphed into within a couple of years of then. But, yep. uh, agreed. Yeah. No, as far as how it looks, I mean, yeah, it's, I, to me, it, it, it's that it is a classic UJM style bike in that it's, there's nothing you can really argue about it. it just, it's a yeah. nice, clean looking motorcycle. For sure. Talking about a Honda Hawk, I was last weekend went out to Manhattan, Kansas, which is out in the middle of the state. For those of you who don't know Kansas, and it is Rock the Hawk Jayhawk. No, that's that's Lawrence. That's, oh, the K State. Yes, this is where K State is. The K State is sorry, the, yeah, yeah. the the Wildcats. My sister's family, her sister, her brother in law, and our two nieces are all proudly purple. So I was out there this <laughs> weekend, and while I was out there. I looked through the local Craigslist and somebody out there has a really, really cherry first gen, like 78 or 79 Honda Matic Hawk mm-hmm. that looks really nice. And they want like $1,400 for it. And I've always wanted to have either the 400 or the 750 automatic just because I've never ridden one. Yeah. I was out there to assemble a Kia furniture. And so it took up the whole day. And. <laughs> I did not have a chance to explore that further, but for the first time in a long time, I was like, oh, well, that would be neat. I I have ridden a 750 Honda Matic. Uh, my friend Tom Pinky, who lives in the Bay Area, in the East Bay, had one, still made, but it was, it was an interesting bike, you know, in a sense, because it's two speeds, because you have like a high, high and low, uh, 
And it moves, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, compared to a regular manual transmission yeah, yeah. version yeah, of yeah, the yeah. same bike, they're dead slow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you could, you could almost see the appeal of it, especially when that came out in the mid seventies, when you know gas crunch and things like that, and people are looking for economical ways to get places and you're like well i've never done a manual transmission especially on a motorcycle how would i do that and here's your answer so i mean you can see reasons why it was done and and it works but yeah it's a it's an interesting bike so is it kind of like a centrifugal style or does it actually have a clutch to like go off from a a stop no No. it actually has the torque converter from the like the Honda 600 uh, car, the torque uh. converter that they came up with for the 600 car, they basically put that in place of the clutch and only have a two-speed transmission. So it's just a, it's truly a fluid drive automatic really? torque converter, but it doesn't shift gears. It just has a high and low, and you can pull away from a stop in in high gear if you wanted to. It's just dreadfully slow. And yeah. you can shift gears anytime you want because there's nothing. It's literally a fluid hydraulic connection between the gearbox and the and the engine. So yeah. And as we're talking <laughs> about it, I actually vaguely, vaguely remember the television commercials promoting that. It shows I, my age, but I yeah. remember the magazine ads. I don't remember it being on TV, but uh, uh, my flight instructor when I was 15 and 16 taking flying lessons had a Hondamatic. And there was a guy that I went to college with, an older gentleman who went back to college. And I think I may have shared this story before, but he had a CM400A, one of the later cruiser-style Hondamatics. And he bought it because he had an open-face helmet, and he wanted to be able to drink his coffee on the way to class. (laughs) So that was the one bike that he could hold a coffee cup in his hand while he was riding into work and sip his coffee and not have to reach out and grab the bars to to grab the clutch. Yeah, I could see that on a late 70s, early 80s commercial of a guy just riding a motorcycle one-handed <laughs> coming up to a stop. Probably wouldn't see that nowadays, but yeah. Yeah. So, Garrett, what's what's been going on in your workshop? Uh, well, let's see. I've been mostly waiting on parts for the past three or four weeks since we last spoke, but um, I did finally get the Vesco 350 together and running. Sorry to our listeners who haven't seen that video, although by the time this goes live, it'll I'll probably have a video on Facebook. Um, so started it and ran it for the first time a few days ago, and that was the first time that it's run since 1985, so it's been a really long time. Um I need to change the jetting a little bit, but otherwise it's solid. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Riding it uh, up, I just up and down the street was kind of surreal because, you know, it's been so long since it's been on the road, but also just the history of the bike and all that. So, so how old are the tires on this? Are they uh, from well, the at 80s? least 85? Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you and- were driving it very gingerly up and down the road. I mean, yeah, just literally first gear, like, you know, barely more than walking speed up and down the street in front of my house. Uh, but yeah, so, um, and it, I, I, I'm just going to leave the tires that are on it when I sell it. I'll let the new owner, uh, either put new tires on it or stuff it in a collection, whatever they want to do. But I, I think that that's kind of where. Um, I'm going to stop with it is just get it running and writing and everything functional and let the new owner kind of decide what he wants to do with it. Um, Cause it's possible that uh, it might just get put into a collection. I'm not really sure. And then I've been working on that Suzuki T 500. Uh, I got the engine all tore apart. And then as you guys probably saw on our Facebook post, I had to make a little aluminum kind of dam to retain oil in the, the transmission area. So in 1974, T500 Suzuki's cast into the clutch cover was 1,400 cc's of oil volume. And in the early ones, it's 1,200 cc's. And the difference between those, the 73s and the 74s, was that little dam that was in the transmission area. So um, 
they were having problems prior to 74 with fourth and fifth gears going bad because oil would sit in the transmission and it would sit where uh, gears one, two, and three were. Um, but then just behind gears one, two, and three, um, oil would fall over a little spillway and then enter the clutch area. And fourth and fifth gears never really got adequately oiled, so they would um, fail prematurely. So Suzuki changed the casting of the engine cases in 74 so that the oil height was a little bit higher in the transmission area. Prior to that, they had just little goofy rubber dams. Yeah, that, that was that was actually a recall, wasn't it? That they Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime they and split so it the was, motor, they Yeah, you have to split the whole thing just to install a little plastic piece in between the two cases and then reassemble the engine and probably fourth and fifth gears as well because um usually people wouldn't really worry about it until the gear sets were toast but um so this is one of the earlier ones uh, it was just right on the cusp i think that this one was like um either october or november of 74 when it was manufactured and then um 1273 uh, december 73 is when they changed the casting so this was like one of the very last ones built without the that, higher yeah, yeah and it's also kind of surprising that it never got re uh repaired I was kind of expecting to see a rubber dam in it, um, but there was none. So, so what did your uh, transmission so, shafts look like? I mean, is it oh, actually really good? Okay, yeah, no, um, really good. So I don't know if the transmission got replaced. I've also heard about um, bikes having quite a few miles on them and and not really having any problems. And it could just be people that were really diligent about changing their oil um, and keeping it, uh, you know, at the Top maximum yeah. level. Yeah. It, that could be why this one um, wasn't a problem. I have another T500 that's it's mine, um, and it's a 1970 model, and I'll be splitting it here pretty soon. And I'm curious to see what that one looks like. So, yeah, we'll see. But um, so I got that piece in, tacked in. Um, I, I, I have the, I have to ask somebody on, on Facebook commented on your photo and said oh yeah this is really porous aluminum that's been soaked with oil for years good luck getting it welded uh, did you do any prep on it ahead of time did you etch it did you torch it to try and um yeah i expel it up i usually heat it up with a propane torch and then wipe it off with alcohol um i have welded on cast aluminum that's been bathed in oil at least a million times. I mean, yeah, you're not stop, exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe only a little bit, but you know, in the shop, my dad, he started the shop, I mean, decades ago. And, um, in the shop, we've done everything from, we, I mean, we've built up the top of cylinders, eight millimeters with welding. Um, we've completely welded in engine cases for different cylinders for bigger strokes. I mean, Welding cast aluminum on engine cases is just not an issue. <laughs> it's, I mean, probably literally a mile of weld has been done in the shop on cast aluminum engine cases that have been bathed in oil. So um, that's not a problem. Little small areas like that, they'd, I just heat it up with a propane torch and tack it. If I'm going to do a lot of welding, um, we have a, a oven in the shop and we'll heat up cylinders or, or engine cases um just to outgas them and right. then clean it all off with alcohol and it's never a problem so that's that's a pretty simple job there but yeah so um now i'm just waiting on pistons for that engine um and then i'll get the top end put together and then that'll be uh, a finished project too so i'll be excited to have both of those motorcycles done i um after our last uh not too long after our last podcast, I talked to my friend, what I mentioned a few minutes ago, Tom Penke. That's, that's not his real name, but that's his name. <laughs> he owned a place called P- Pinky's Pizza in the East Bay area for like 40 years. So everyone just calls him Tom Pinky. Hmm. Um, and he's the guy who had a bunch of um, uh, water buffalo stuff. Yeah. And he did get rid of most of it, but he thinks he still got some stuff and he's cleaning up stuff anyway. So he's going to working on him to get uh, get a pair a care package for you yeah yeah that'd be cool um that's that's really i want to get that motorcycle back on the road soon um 
because I'm like really in love with the idea of riding the 750 triple uh, and just having like a big cruiser two stroke. Um, I don't know. Could you really call it a cruiser? I suppose that that's not really a cruiser. Um, a two, a, naked, a big it's, it's tour. A super, it's, it's a 70 super naked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's not even that though, but it is, it's, it's, it's a mild mannered touring bike. Yeah. It, yeah. It just happens to be a two stroke. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm, um, I'm really jealous. I have yeah. to tell you that I really am. I, I had mine and I never really got it to the point where it was, it was rideable, but it wasn't trippable, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Would, would we, well, would we call this like a, the, the seventies version of like a GS 1150, basically? Oof, the only know. thing is that GS 1150 was really fast for its day. This was, to me, this is more like, um, oh, like an, XS11 or uh, uh, a GSX1100S, where it's not okay. really, it's supposed to be a super bike, but it's really not because it's just too mild mannered for too that. Big, too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think I shared with you guys in the past my my goal really is to make everything work and make it look presentable, but spend as little as possible on it. So, um, yeah, and that always oh, works so well for me. I know, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, there's rust spots on the fenders, and like, you know, I'll do some of the that um, navel jelly on it to get the rust off. But like, I'm not gonna redo chrome. I'm not gonna the wheels, for instance. Um, they're not. They're in okay shape. They're just a little dingy. And I think that I'll just leave them exactly like that. I'm not gonna repolish anything. Um, but I will take apart the motor. I'll put all new seals and gaskets in it. Um, it has like basically brand new compression. So I don't think that I'll need to do anything with the cylinders, pistons or rings. Um, but I'll just go through. I just want it to everything to work right to look pretty good, at least from, you know, 10 feet away and then just ride it. That's really what I want to do. And then probably ship it to Kansas. So Pete can relive his, absolutely uh, <laughs> his GT 750 days. Yeah, well, mine, mine always, it never was good enough to not be a little bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it had a roll off the throttle and it had a really good head shake on it that was more oh, really? than anything else that I'd ever ridden. And I, it really needed to have, you know, sw new swing arm bushings, new wheel yeah. bearings, new steering head bearings and everything, because I'm sure they all kind of added up to that loose mm -hmm. feeling to cause that. I don't think there's one thing I could have done. And at the time I didn't have the, I probably had the mechanical aptitude to do it, but I didn't have the resources and opportunity to do it. Yeah. And it was just one of those, it sat around long enough. I finally got rid of it. Oh, I just thought of something that I'm going to just totally interrupt our thoughts for. Cause I thought this was really neat. Uh, when I sold that bike, I sold it to the son of the guy that owns or owned uh, Harper's Moto Guzzi, which is a big classic Moto Guzzi supplier that anybody who's in them would know that. They're located like 20 miles from my house. And his son uh, bought that from me and an old Boltaco, one of my old Boltacos that I still had, and a bunch of parts. And I was just like clearing out the garage and was like, yeah, go ahead and take it. At the same time I sold all that stuff off, I sold my Honda CB750, or excuse me, CB350F to a guy named Mark, who worked at the downtown airport in Kansas City. And I had his email address, so I emailed him a little later on, and I said, hey, do you still have the bike? Everything work out? And he's like, yeah, I just moved to California. I'm going to become a pilot, and I'm out here for, I think it was aviation school. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, about a week ago, I had one of the guys from work say, Hey, I just, uh, flew up to Harley for a meeting on our corporate jet and our pilot knows you. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he said his name is full Mark and said his last name. And I was like, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? And he said in 19... 97 you sold him a honda cb350f <laughs> and i was like no way 
and he still has it and he's living back here in Kansas City. So I got to call him up or find him on Facebook or something. I I mean, he works for a subsidiary, the, co- the company that I work for. So I can just call over to the airport and say, hey, can I talk to Mark, the pilot? And I really want to go see my bike that I have not seen in 22 years. Yeah, it's so, amazing he still has it. Yeah. I wonder, do you think he rides it? Or when, is I, it... when I talked to him many years ago, he said he was going to take it out and exercise it every once in a while. But he really just it was in such nice shape that he really just wanted to keep it as a as a collector's piece. But, you know, ride it enough to keep it from from degrading. So I'm yeah. curious how many miles it has on it and and what it's like, because I think when I sold it to him, it only had eight, nine thousand miles on it. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, that'll be really neat to see again. So I need to, I need to do. But anyways, it was just really weird to have a guy at work go, "Yeah, I know the guy that bought your motorcycle, uh, and he works for the company now." Yeah, no kidding. That is small world. So, anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, anything else that you need to cover in your workshop? Uh, let's see. So about a million years ago, here again, go again with the exaggerations. Um, I talked about probably on our Facebook page and on the podcast about, um, rebuilding my powder coating oven. And, uh, so a few months ago, I built the whole structure for it and I've been kind of putting off finishing the rest of it. Um, I needed sheet metal to skin the whole oven. So, um, finally I ordered up all the sheet metal for it and, um, I'm having them you know, press, you know, like in, uh, HVAC systems, how, um, in the sheet metal, they form the little cross bends in it just to give the panels mm-hmm. some rigidity. So they're, um, I'm having them put those bends in all the panels, um, really just for aesthetics more than anything else. Um, so I'll have all the sheet metal here probably in the next week and I can finally have my powder coating set up back in business. Um, and so I, the reason why I'm, I really need to get the whole powder coating set up back together is um, because I am going to be doing a few motorcycle restorations um, and I'm going to need to be able to powder coat again. So uh, I'll have that oven back together here pretty soon. And so I can show that off and show off some powder coating stuff too. So um, that'll be here in the next week or two. That'll be back together. Finally. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So at any rate, Pete, you got some stuff done in your workshop? Yeah, I, I posted something on Facebook for those of you who look at our Facebook page. But uh, I told you last time that I had a problem with my new carburetor and I wasn't really – I had gone through my old carburetor twice and it still – I was having weird problems where it would just die and not want to start. And you could come back to it a couple hours later and it would start. And – I'm fairly confident it's a fueling issue, not an electrical issue, because I've replaced pretty much as much of the, this is on the Honda CL125. And, uh, I, it's, it's a point system. You know, it's not like there's a CDI unit to heat up and go weird. Usually point systems either work or they don't. You know, every Mm -hmm. once in a while I can have problems with a coil that doesn't work if it gets hot, but this, this wasn't even hot. This was, you know, from cold. Sometimes it would start and sometimes it wouldn't. And it, so I thought, okay, I'm going to start eliminating variables. And so I bought this carb and I'm not sure I put this on Facebook, but I sent you guys a link to the one eBay ad <laughs> for an original CL125S carburetor, 300 dollars 298 dollars for it and i thought no i'm I'm not going to do that so i thought i have to figure out how to make this carburetor that i've already purchased work well the stud centers on the old carb that come out of the head and the, the ones for the new manifold the little rubber boot were different and unfortunately no matter how you clocked it they were going to interfere well i finally came up with an aha moment of I got a uh, five-eighths inch thick piece of aluminum stock that was two inches wide. I cut it and then figured out where I needed to put everything. And instead of putting studs, using the studs in the head, I took the studs out and I'm going to put 
countersunk screws that'll be flush with the surface of this little adapter block so that it won't run afoul of the manifold and I can just offset the studs for the manifold. And I know that putting stainless steel uh, bolts into an aluminum head is kind of a no-no that the idea is you're going to destroy the head if you're constantly putting screws in. And if you over tighten them, you're going to strip out your screws in the head. So I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. And then I realized once I put this on there, uh, never I, coming off. it's <laughs> never coming off. I'm going to, you know, put it on, lock tight it, torque them down and leave it. Because if you want to take the head off, you can do that without removing this one little adapter plate. And if you want to take the carb off, you can do that. Cause I'll have studs for that tapped into the adapter, not into the head. So I thought, okay, yeah, it, it probably will make some snobs turn up their nose, but, it's a budget build and this, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be just fine. So I'm about halfway through doing that. And hopefully by the time this goes live, I'll, I'll be able to post on Facebook a, uh, a picture of my carb mounted up. The one yeah. problem is my new carb, the air cleaner for it. It's big enough that it can't go into the boot for the stock air box. So I'm going to have to put mm-hmm. one of those big K and N tapered air filters on it. Can't run a side cover. It's gonna Uh-oh. it's gonna stick out where this it's it would run right into where the side cover would be. So yeah, and I actually like the stock look. I know a lot of people want the open triangle, but I I took the airbox out and I figured yeah, it's just gonna have to hang out there. So well, all right, two things. First, uh, so the yeah the stainless the dissimilar metal with the stainless and in the aluminum like it will corrode, but like I've never had an issue where a bolt got so corroded or, or galled. And it that it caused any problems at all. I think if it were like constantly wet or in there for 30 years, you'd probably have an issue, but it won't be a problem for you. Uh, number two, I really want to get a 3D printer. And the reason why I want to get a 3D printer is a problem kind of like you have where um, my Kenny Roberts RZ350, um, I want it to look as factory as possible. But it does have fully ported cylinders and in the stock air cleaner, I just like I want it to look like a stock air box, but I don't think that the foam top is really going to flow enough air. So I've been thinking about um, using a stock air box as a shell, but like 3D printing a new manifold so I can put a, a K&N filter inside the air box. But um if ever I get around to getting a 3D printer, um, you could possibly even, or at your work, or if you know somebody that has one, um, design uh, a new boot so you can um, like make something that looks kind of factory and be able to still use. Yeah, your unfortunately, side cover. this this is a really pliable, low durometer rubber boot because mm-hmm. it comes the the. Uh, you can print in very flexible materials nowadays. Really? So you can print. Yeah, you can print like 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 rubber, like just like like one of those flexible boots okay. um, that would couple an air cleaner or a carburetor to a manifold. Yeah, you can print with some really amazing filaments nowadays that are extremely flexible and pliable. Well, this is this is a big. It kind of looks like a saxophone. It comes mm-hmm. back and then makes a ninety degree turn, and it kind of flares yeah. as it goes into the box. So yeah. It, Realistically, the performance of a 125 Honda is – I don't need to worry about having an airbox to make it, it, it – you know. It has some. Not much, but it has some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure I can get all the stick out of this it's going to give me with, with the air cleaner that I'm putting on there. It's a fairly yeah. large volume air cleaner. So Yeah. My main motivation is just to make that RZ look factory mm-hmm. because if, if I didn't care, then I would just put K&N filters on the back of the carburetors and call it a day. But I want it to, from the outside, look original. So uh, the other thing with this little 125 is the really anemic six volt lighting that it's gotten. I know I've talked about yeah. this before. Well, I did a lot of checking and it turns out that a late model XR200R uh alternator cover will bolt up to my motor and i hmm. i didn't want to 
I kind of hedged my bet. I ordered a bare one without a stator in it. I haven't gotten a rotor yet, but I think the rotor will bolt onto the end of my crank and mm. I can upgrade to uh, a 12 volt alternator. The interesting thing is the XR motor only has, I think it's six of eight posts wrapped yeah. with a coil on it. The XL 200, since it had had to have turn signals and street legal lighting and everything, actually wrapped all eight of them. Mm-hmm. They're really hard to find, but I found out that um, uh, one of the uh, Hanks, Nicks, Eds, I forget what the heck it is, somebody that sells Honda electrical parts, uh, actually makes a high output stator for the XR200, which is basically specification-wise exactly what was in the XL. They wrapped the extra two. So I can buy a super high output alternator that has an external flywheel that will actually solve all of my problems. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, well, I'm still going to be running points ignition. Wow, it would really be nice to upgrade to CDI. And <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, he has a new motorcycle. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking at this point, just go buy an XR200, pull the motor out of it. Yeah. And put it in there. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, why don't I just ride the XR200 and <laughs> get rid of the 125? <laughs> this is how it always starts. Yeah. Pete. So. <laughs> So anyways, that was, uh, that's what I've been up to. And I've also been working, I'm not going to spend too much time, but I told you I was, I was making lamps out of old motorcycle valve covers and, uh, Mm -hmm. I got a whole bunch of parts that I ordered for that. So like the, there's one that's kind of like a bar lamp or a, or a pool table lamp. And I needed a bar to go across the top. Well, I found a drag bar and then I used risers the the chrome chopper risers to hang mm-hmm. the chains from it and everything so it's all going to be made out of motorcycle components so cool. yeah i'm gonna see how that goes uh, it, it'll it won't be done anytime soon but i'm still continuing to work on that and awesome i've really decided the 125 is going to get done before i mess it all with the bull taco that's just i one thing at a time get it done and I don't know what I'm going to do with 125 when I'm done with it, whether I'm actually going to want to commute on it, ride it, or whether it's something when I'm, once I'm done, I'm just like, give it to somebody, you know, sell it, let somebody else enjoy it. So yeah, uh, my goal for this year is, uh, Jeff Glucker on Hooniverse says, what's your, what's your vehicular, uh, New Year's resolution? And mine is to finish the 125 by fall. Have it yeah. so I can ride it, and if I wanted to, have it in sellable shape. So, speaking of speaking of Hooniverse, um, so for two out of the last three years, you have nominated the Hooniverse vehicle of the year. Yes, yeah the the Fat Hippo utility bike won like with forty percent of the vote. It was a runaway, and uh, some people grumble that car of the year should actually be a car, not a bike, but. You know, one day a week, we feature bike stuff on Hooniverse. So I, I, if you haven't seen, I should put a link to the, to the build thread. This is one of the most amazing build. The guy took a TRX 250 and turned it into a two wheel, like a BW or a Rokon mm-hmm. Trailbreaker style bike, but did it all in his garage with, you know, a welder and some hand tools and. It turned out really amazing. And it's got a really cool mount on the back so that he can put a chainsaw on it because he uses it for clearing trails, like mm-hmm. off-road vehicle trails. So he's constant, which tells you the kind of guy he is that he voluntarily goes out and keeps the trails clean so that other people can ride them, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, and Should we? Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Oh, mm-hmm. I was going to say. Should we discuss the price of the live wire? Yes. <laughs> going, yeah, so going from old bikes with points to, well, electrical bikes. So. Yeah, with yeah. no no points, I guess. 
<laughs> what's the, what's the <laughs> point? <laughs> Speaking of pointless motorcycles. So, okay. The Livewire will be in dealers in August. It has a price of $29,799. Starting at. <laughs> and, starting at. And it has a range of 110 urban miles, less than that if you take it out on the highway. And no level two charging ability. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I mean, I, that's like basic. <laughs> no, I, have, no, it. It, it, can it, do, have level it, two? it can do one, two, and three. Oh, can it? I thought I saw something where it was like no level two. Maybe it was no level three, but um, I, uh, thought, I thought I had looked at one. I think it was the Jalopnik article that actually listed the three charging times for one, two, and three. But in any case, uh, I wrote an article that appeared on Hooniverse today because the internet is is just losing their minds over the price of this thing. I don't know what people expected this to cost. I was guessing. 20 to 25 was what I was going to guess. So it's it's definitely high. A we'll see the... Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, finish. A CVO tour glide or whatever, you know, road glide is $40,000. Mm-hmm. Harleys are expensive. Expensive enough that almost any Harley looking at the MSRP, half the people in the world would go, why the heck is this so expensive? So why are they surprised that Harley's boutique, low-volume, super-prestigious, make-a-splash-first electric bike isn't a loss leader. First of all, Harley can't afford a loss leader right now because they have no money because their sales are so down. And secondly, there are so many people who want to spend a whole lot of money so they can brag about how much money they spend. They'll sell every single one of these that they're planning to manufacture, I am convinced. So I feel like there are people that with money that want to spend money on a Harley, but it's not going to be a live wire. I don't think. I think if the, you the know somebody they, going into a Harley dealership with thirty thousand dollars, why the live wire? I don't think it's. I think there's going to the fact that they introduced, announced the availability of this at the Consumer Electronics Show tells you who they're going after. This is not for hardcore motorcyclists. This is for all the people who bought the iPhone 1 when it first came out, all the people that that buy limited edition electronics. Um, this is this is somebody – hey, it has no clutch. It has no gears. You can get on it and ride it real easily. This is going to get ridden one hour on Saturday mornings and maybe commute to an office park on a, <clears throat> on a sunny day. This is for people who want to be able to say they own one, and when they have a dinner party, say, oh, come look in the garage. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the charging capacity is, or, you know, the, 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 the range is. It doesn't matter what the price is. These are, and I should point out, this is not the only electric bike they're coming out with. They've got other ones in the pipeline. This is the one they want to make a big splash with. Having a prestigious price, I think, is part of the allure to anybody who's going to buy this particular model this year. Yeah. So my my take or my uh, my thought on it was because someone pointed out um, on on the Aprilia thread, like it's still way more than the Energetica, which okay, that's a sport bike or however that's pronounced. Um, but the real competitor is the Zero. Which uh, the which the zero S ZF fourteen point four to be specific, so it has a city range of two hundred twenty three miles, a highway range of one twelve and one fifty combined, um, and it will price out at a well this says sixteen eight ninety, but let's just call it eighteen grand because you're going to throw in like one or the charger and a couple other things in here. So for eighteen grand, it's another naked electric motorcycle that's going to have better range, probably better performance because it only weighs four hundred and fifty pounds compared to the live wire, which was over five, I believe. And and I I get the comparison, 
actually the SR, uh, is it the 13.0, is almost exactly half the price of the Livewire. And it has like 112 or 120 mile range or something like that. Just, just over what they're claiming. So you can buy actually a little bit more range for half the price. But, uh, I said in my article that that means as much to Harley people as the fact that an MT-07 is half the price of a soft tail lowrider. Harley people want to buy Harleys. Now, whether that translates into electrics or not, we'll have to see. I think Harley has done such a good job with particular people of cultivating that, that corporate image that I don't think the people who are going to buy this are actually cross-shopping a zero. Yeah, that's probably true. So the other question is, is do they have an app so that there'll be an oil stain on your garage floor every time you get it? Uh. No, an, an oil stain <laughs> appears in the middle of your phone display. <laughs> the more you use the bike, a good one. It, just, it just constantly gets a little bit darker and a little bit bigger in the middle of your screen. Yeah. Yeah, I good one, Eric. <laughs> I can't take credit for that again. That was one of the ones I saw in the Aprilia forum today. But yeah. um, I thought that was that would bear that one needed repeating because it was good. I just I understand not trying to compete on price in a different demographic. I'm just I'm thinking that they're going to end up going after that same demographic because the traditional Harley person it doesn't it doesn't appeal to them. And, so and that's I, and I am betting within two to three years they will have a lower price, higher performance bike. Yeah. I think this is what they have to go with now because they have so much into research and development and they are so cash poor right now. Right. And they have to introduce new products to make their investors happy and to calm the stock market that this was a, you know what? It's fourth and a couple yards. We're throwing a long ball. And I, yeah. I I truly think that in a couple of years, they're going to have more competitive electric bikes. I have to say, I think it ups the style factor. I mean, if you look at like a Redshift, it still looks like it got cobbled up in somebody's garage. They're, I realize that they're really good electric dirt bikes, but they look awful. Mm-hmm. I think that Zero has gotten better. They look better than they used to. I don't think they're ugly, but nobody looks at one and goes, oh, that's a really handsome bike. Yeah, it still they're, just kind of looks like a battery pack between two wheels. Yeah, and and I I do think the live wire really looks like a motorcycle that if I owned it, I would turn around and look at it as I was walking away from it. I would not say that about any other electric bike. Yeah. I'm still looking forward to the Street Fighter yeah. From Harley. I think I, that that'll probably do better for their business than the Livewire, but I don't know. The Livewire, it's so difficult to predict because it's Harley Davidson's electric motorcycle. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of a paradox. So it's difficult to predict how it'll do sales wise, I think. We'll have to see. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you said August is when it hits dealer floors? Yep, and they are taking orders for it at your dealer right now if you want to put your deposit down. They're taking them. Any idea how many will go to each dealer? Do you know like what they're expecting to be able to move? I, I honestly don't know. I, I even asked some of the guys at work that have kind of an inside line to Harley, <laughs> and I got a shrug of shoulder. So yeah. I, I don't know what their production numbers are. They may yeah. not know what their productions are. You know, they, they yeah. may see how many deposits they get between now and August and adjust accordingly. Yeah. So, yeah. What's what, what would be good pre-sales of like three to 5,000? Yeah. I, I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. Are there any reviews on the motorcycle yet? Like, have they actually, like, put out any dem- like demos not, for the actual production? Not on the production bike. I have not okay. seen any. 
And I, I would th- guess probably July, June, July, closer to uh, to launch, they would have. You'll start seeing, you know, review video and, and yeah. written up reviews of yeah. it. Yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting. It will be interesting, and at yeah. some point, somebody's going to do a, a a comparison test between the zero and the live mm-hmm. wire, and I will be really interested. Even though I'm saying no people people won't cross shop them. I will be personally interested to see how they compare and what they think are the pros and cons because I know people who own the zeros are fanatical about them. Yeah. Are they Tesla bad? Or no, no, are they're they, really good. No, no, no. What I'm saying is are they fanatics in the sense of they're obnoxious oh. like Tesla owners <laughs> or are they like, like, no, they just happen to like them a lot as like, you know. I, I would say KTM owners. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's Tesla bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> well, I think at, with that, let's let's wrap it up. I will. I wanted to bring up one thing that we didn't get to. Uh, Jeff Glucker posted an article or a post on Hooniverse today, asking people what their dream bike was, and I don't think. I could answer that with a particular bike. There's lots of bikes that I'm interested in. There are lots of bikes that I love to look at, but I don't I don't know if somebody said to me, "Okay, turn in all of your motorcycles that you have, all your projects, whatever, your my spider and everything else and pick a bike that's the one that you really want to have for the rest of your life that, you know, for the foreseeable future is going to be your bike and you're going to love it." I'm not sure I could do that. So I want you guys to think about that question, and we're going to talk about that I next have, I month. I have an answer. Well, save it for next month. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I have an answer, too, but I'll save it for, for next time. Okay. Very good. And with that, we're going to close out January. We'll see you guys in February. Uh, Eric and Garrett, as always, thank you, and yeah. thanks to our listeners. We'll see you next time. So long. <laughs>